Welcome to How Do You Write? I'm your host, Rachel Heron. On this podcast, I talk to authors about how they write, what their process is, and how their lives fit together. I'll keep each episode short so you can get back to writing. Well, hello, writers. Welcome to episode number 212 of How Do You Write? I'm Rachel Heron. So thrilled you're here with me today as I talk to Brian Washington. It was a treat to talk to him about his book, which I really, really enjoyed. And um, we go pretty deep into why setting matters and how setting can act as a character, which is something that I get asked about a lot. So I know that you will enjoy this interview with Brian. Uh, what's going on around here? Nano is continuing apace. I am still ahead of schedule. Who am I? I'm never ahead of schedule. So that is great. Although I got to admit that today, oh, I just don't want to write, which means... I will write eventually. I have come up with a theory and it's called the bra theory, the bra theory of getting your work done, getting your creative work done. And it's a Patreon essay I'm going to be sending out this week. And really it goes like this. You need to set yourself up for success. Feelings don't matter. Your feelings will always tell you that you don't want to write, that you don't want to do your creative work because doing other things is always going to be easier. Um, so we set ourselves up for success and we don't ask questions about our feelings. Um, that is what I have been thinking about a lot. And it's helpful to remember that I can not feel like writing and I could do it anyway. And the truth is, and you know this, is when your fingers are on the keyboard or when your pen is in your hand and your body is in motion and you are making words, that is when the muse comes to tickle your brain pan. That is when she shows up. She doesn't show up when you're hoping that she shows up to bring you to the page. I think there's this, there's this myth that the muse takes you by the hand and gently caresses your brow and gets you to do the writing. Absolutely not. You must tempt the muse to you. You must do the work that brings her uh, to whisper those ideas in your brain that you wouldn't have had if you were not working. So I'm thinking a lot about that this week, and I will do my words later. But I have been trying to get about 2,500 words every time I sit down, which means that I'm ahead, and I want to beat my goal of finishing this first draft of the novel by the end of December 31st, because I want the full 90,000 words. And I really am still playing in this book. I have no idea what the F I am doing. The plot changes daily. My characters change daily. I have a million abandoned scenes that I started and thought, oh God, what, what is this? I'm, I'm not going to go that direction. I have a tendency to make things dark. <laughs> it's what I do. Uh, and I don't want that. I want this book to be lighter than a dark book. And I keep trying to add uh, addiction, homelessness, eviction, and I keep having to back away. That is not this book. This book is to amuse me and to amuse a reader. And therefore, I keep having to think about amusement and play and restarting. And um, and when I say restart, I am not saying that I'm ever looking at the beginning of the book. I just mean restarting where I am, where I think I am in the book. Again, really having no idea what's going to happen next. And it's fun. It's working. Okay, see, I've almost talked myself into wanting to write today. However, it doesn't matter if I want to or if I don't want to. I will just do it. That's what we do. We're writers. Uh, what else? Oh, I also must do page proofs 
<laughs> this week. I've had three weeks to do them and I haven't done them at all. Um, what page proofs are is looking over what the proof reader has done and making sure that you don't need to make any last minute tiny tweaks. I find uh, doing this very tedious. So um, I actually, I think I told you about this on the podcast. Uh, I actually hired my friend Katrina, who is a brilliant copy editor to go over my book me to look for those kind of typos. I will also do it, but I'm, I'm trusting um, Katrina's hand in this. This is a traditional New York published book. And I still took the money out of um, my pocket to do that because it's important to me. So uh, speaking of publishing news, whew, we knew this was going to happen. Simon & Schuster has been up on the um, for sale block and I and everyone else was predicting that Penguin Random House might assimilate them, and they have. They spent $2 billion, and billion with a B, of course, and purchased Simon & Schuster, which is um, worrisome. It is further contracting the market. Instead, we used to have the big six, and we went down to the big five when Penguin bought Random House. Now we're down to the big four. And what that means is there will inevitably be cuts, imprints will be axed, editors will lose their jobs. And fewer books will be produced. They will be relying more and more on the blockbuster model. They really need to publish the big blockbuster names. Uh, it used to be in publishing, in traditional publishing, um, they would take chances on the little guy. They would support the midlist author as they go through being midlist for years and years and years, hoping for a breakout. And then they would have the breakout successes, the anomalies um, that would kind of carry the press along. They don't do that anymore. Um, Midlist is always being rumored to be completely dead. Although I will say I've had a thoroughly Midlist career. Um, so it's, it's, it's worrisome. However, if you're hearing this news, I want to reassure you that in the, how long have I been doing this? In the 14 years that I've been actively inside the publishing industry, the sky has been falling over and over and over again. And the sky has been falling in the publishing industry for the last 200 years. It is always falling. So I want to remind you, it never falls all the way. There will always be writers. There will always be readers willing to purchase our stories. And that's what it comes down to. So um, the news about Simon & Schuster is not heartening, but it's also not killing your chances. So chin up, we move forward. We understand that publishing is a very tricky business. And we also rejoice in the fact that self-publishing is so viable nowadays as a way to be read and as a way to make money. Um, and if you are not, if you listen to my show and you don't listen to other writing shows, um, number one, thank you for listening to my show, but you know, you should branch out to somebody who talks about the news um, more often and better than I do. I always recommend Joanna Penn's show, The Creative Pen. Um, she has a very nice model of always having the news right up front and then an interesting interview. Um, so if you're not following The Creative Pen, I always recommend that you do that. Let's see. So I'll be doing those page tr- those page proofs hopefully uh, today or on Thanksgiving tomorrow because um, I am one of those people who's just so grateful I don't have to do family holidays this year. Um, I love my family. I love them. I love being around the vast majority of my family, which is actually very small. It's my family and Lala's family. We have, we have small families. Uh, and I love them and I still don't want to be around them for the holidays. Holidays are stressful. I have hated Thanksgiving since I was a little girl. 
it's just too much stress around a meal that lasts for 20 minutes and then you're full. I it just, I just don't get it. So the fact that my wife and I are just going to be staying in the house tomorrow, um, I'm going to make a key lime pie and that is all I'm making. That might be Thanksgiving dinner, um, along with the steak that we bought. And that's what we're going to do. We might binge watch something, uh, just started. What's his name? What's it called? Lasso, Tom Lasso, Todd, you know the one I'm talking about, the Lasso show, Ted Lasso. Uh, and it does seem to be very delightful as everyone told us. So we might binge a little bit of that, although we are not binge watchers ever, but that might be fun. And I might work on page proofs. So if you are American and celebrating Thanksgiving, I just realized this won't come out until after Thanksgiving anyway. So I hope you had um, a nice day and I hope that you enjoyed your turkey if you ate it. Uh, I don't understand why anybody eats turkey. That stuff is dry. Cue the emails to me saying you're not cooking it right if it's dry. I know that I have had good turkey and it's just not worth it. I'd rather eat so many other things. So, um, but I do hope that you enjoyed your holiday celebration if you celebrate it. Um, and quick catch up on moving to New Zealand or moving forward. However, I have no idea how to do it. And I would like to just state that for the record. How does one think about packing a house when one has no clue when one might leave or how long all the paperwork will take or how long the sick dog will last that we're not leaving without. Um, I mean, we are leaving without her. She will have passed on, but our main focus right now is on keeping her comfortable. So I think a lot about New Zealand and do absolutely nothing except paperwork. Um, haven't boxed a single thing don't know how much we even want to take. So that's one of those uh, brain teaser, those problems that I, you know, lie in bed and think about, but have done almost nothing about uh, besides that. So I'll keep you posted. Now let's jump into Brian Washington's excellent interview. I hope that you will enjoy this half as much as I enjoyed talking to him. And that will be a great deal for you, my friend. I hope that you are writing. I hope that you are playing and remembering that it's not so serious. Everything can be fixed later. Everything. You can add plot and character to a book that you've already written. I truly believe that. So I wish you, my friends, happy writing, and I will see you soon. Hey, you're a writer. Did you know that I send out a free weekly email of writing encouragement? Go sign up for it at rachelherron.com slash write. And you'll also get my stop stalling and write PDF with helpful tips you can use today to get some of your own writing done. Okay, now on to the interview. Okay, well, I could not be more pleased to welcome to the show Brian Washington. Hello, Brian. Hi, Rachel. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to have you. Let me give you a little bit of an introduction before we jump into talking about writing. Brian Washington is a National Book Award 5 Under 35 honoree and winner of the Dylan Thomas Prize, the Ernest J. Gaines Award for Literary Excellence, and the New York Times Public Library Young Lions Fiction Award. That one just sounds cool. Um, his new book, Memorial, is the book he wanted to read, the one he didn't see out in the world, something that was funny and sexy and yet at times startlingly emotional, featuring people of color, queer people of color, living their lives and dealing with breakups and falling in love dealing with being sick, with a parent's death, with confronting who your parents are as you become an adult, with the meaning of family. And he lives in Houston. Brian, your book has just really touched something in me. It is, you wrote the book you wanted to see in the world, and you also wrote the book that is is hard to find in the world. I, I believe I was telling my wife about it, and she's um, next on the list to read it. I find it kind of st- 
darkly beautiful. Is that okay to say? I think it's okay to say. I it, there's this there's this sweetness and romance and also just this beautiful beautiful reality that is presented to us. Um and I'm, I I just love it. So I would love to talk to you about your writing process. This is your second book, right? The first one was a short story collection. Yes, this is the second go around of the first novel. Yeah. Oh, that's so exciting. Okay. So tell us, so you live in Houston. Is this your full-time gig or do you have another gig? Oh, well, right now I teach at Rice. So I'm over there for a bit. And whilst I was writing Memorial, I was actually teaching ESL, and that was my job. Wow. It was a job that you know, a job I really loved, and like working with that cohort and those kids, like it was a really lovely gig. But I usually am teaching in some capacity and yeah. freelancing in some capacity, and also working on longer stuff. Okay, so where do you fit that writing time in? How do you get your actual writing writing done around all of that? In the morning. You know, and usually I say in the morning, people say, oh, I do that too. But like, I, I have to wake up at like 4.30 central time and like I work yes. until about like 8. <laughs> I have this, that's like my, you know, I have this theory that like 4.30 is the sweet spot to get up for a writer. It really is. Okay. Yeah. Usually people are like, I guess. And I'm just like, no, you don't. But like, it, it's, <laughs> I, that's, you know, you haven't really, like I'm awake and I'm present, but like the day hasn't destroyed me yet yes. it doesn't like imparted its will on me so I can as far as like generative material is concerned like I have to be up that early if I'm editing I can do that most any time of day just about yeah. anywhere except maybe a plane but yeah oh my god I love you say that that you said that because every all the other writers say well you know I can get four hours of work done on a plane I can't do anything on a plane I could just watch a movie no I can sit down oh, and really? I can ask for like some tea and go to sleep on a plane <laughs> but beyond that I'm just about useless awesome so how has the pandemic affected where you write if it has at all you're probably always at home at 4 30 in the morning you're not one of my yes, no no i am i am now i'm at home at 4 30 in the morning uh as far as where it's almost exclusively like from my home you know and that's been a radical departure in that like i spent a lot of last year sort of like bopping around doing promoting things so I wrote quite a lot in airports which mm -hmm. I don't mind at all because you can be by yourself and like it's understood that you know you're by yourself but also you have a number of different things that are going on in the foreground so that's like an ideal writing environment like a variation of that is like coffee shops like there are like a lot of boba shops in my part of town so like mm -hmm. I'll go there and I would I would just you know work at the boba shop and just drink boba and just like work and it was ideal and you can order like crispy chicken and just like hang out you know? <laughs> but uh, you can't do that anymore so yeah just staying at home yeah I miss I miss airports to write in and hotel lobbies were like the best oh that's nice I've never I oh, I will just go. I live in Oakland, so I'll go sometimes, to, or I used to go to San Francisco and just pick a hotel and go sit in the lobby. Oh, really? Oh, uh, it's yeah, such that, good that's such a good idea. It's that's great. The, good, yeah, the chairs are, are always comfortable. Nobody ever knows. Like, if you go to enough hotels, they don't know that you're. Nobody really says anything. Yeah, I can't imagine anyone saying anything. That's a great idea. <laughs> so, what is your biggest challenge when it comes to writing? Hmm. Um, setting is really tricky for me description is really tricky for me so i have to come up with 
rules for myself Ooh, and sometimes those you share your rules. rules yeah they vary depending on the project you know depending on the length of the project i mean one for memorial is that i wanted at least 20 percent of every scene to be describing the world and to wow. be filling the world and telling something about the world so capacity whether it was like the world of a room whether it was the world of an outdoor bar whether it was you know the world of like a kitchen even if it was like a recurring scene like describing something new about that particular place because a quick thing is that i don't know i feel like if there, there's certain places that we can set a narrative where we maybe don't have to do as much work which can lead to a little bit of laziness, which I'm like very guilty of. Like very yeah. often you can say that, you know, a narrative or a scene is taking place in the kitchen and then you can just stop. And because the overwhelming majority of your readers will have spent some time in a kitchen, like one kitchen or another, like that's all they need. And then you can move on and that'll work for some scenes. But I think like the story of it is the particularity of that particular yeah. kitchen, you know, or that particular room or that particular bar. Like you can say bar, and everyone will understand like the sort of emotional pocket and the sort of tonal pocket that the place is, but maybe not the things that one character or another is observing about that particular space, because I feel pretty strongly that observation is just as much characterization as description, right? Absolutely. Like the things that it's what they see. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. The things that your character sees um will tell us just as much about them as the things that they do or don't do in in tandem with that, the things that they don't see um will will tell a good deal about them and what they don't notice and who they don't notice so really description and observation are a bit trickier and i have to be a bit more intentional about making myself like a lot of page time i have to go back and actually reread some parts because I have a hard time with setting and description too. We have some similarities and I would have guessed that 20% would have been too much and bothered me. And it, and it never did. Like it never felt like too much. I just felt like I was there. So you pulled that off really, really beautifully. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Wow. Okay. So what is your biggest joy when it comes to writing? My biggest joy is conversation in a lot of ways, like in dialogue that is just as tricky structurally as description and setting is for me, but I could spend all day doing it in a lot of ways, just sort of pulling out the conversations that characters have and not only just like the conversation, but like what actually makes it onto the page. Cause I feel like I have to overwrite scenes or the iteration memorial is about 11 drafts or so. And mm. the earlier iterations of the novel would appear deeply overwritten to the point of unrecognizability in comparison to like the <laughs> final iteration. But I feel like I had to overwrite that in order to get a sense of what each conversation was about, mm -hmm. you know, cause like if you directly transcribe dialogue between most anyone in your life, like it would just be ghoulish and like unreadable. Like, how are you? How terrible. are you? Okay. Like, like not really answering yeah. questions just so, because you have so many other cues that you can use and you have before and all those things are sort of understood and not on the page. So trying to find a way to choose what within the dialogue that I have on the page would imply that rapport and apply, imply that context and imply the sort of 
visual cues that you know your reader or your audience isn't privy to on the page is always really fun. You always you also do an incredible job of of what they're not saying. Between Benson and Mike, there is throughout a lot of the book, there is just so much unsaid, and that is as much part of the dialogue as the words that are on the page visible. So um, beautiful. Can you share a craft tip of any sort with a us? A craft tip? Oh yes. my god. Yeah. It sounds obvious to the point of redundancy, but reading aloud, right? Like reading, reading your own work you, aloud. Yeah, reading your work aloud in the midst of your editing it, because there's a way in which a text like reads, like you just like sitting down, and you like reading the thing, and it can be really beautiful and lush. And then there's the way in which the text reads and the orality of a text and the sort of visual prism in which it can exist can mask a lot of clutteredness and a lot of gaps in rhythm and sort of clunky dialogue that aren't immediately discernible just by your eye because you are you and you wrote the thing and you've seen it X amount of times so you've internalized yeah. it a lot of ways but even just hearing it and hearing yourself read it out loud at least for me like I'm able to find so many things to change and to fix and to make the narrative and interactions between the characters a bit more cohesive. So that's something that is a pretty major part of like my editing process. It's just reading through it for Memorial, the one of the last, last, last drafts I went to like we like a oh, can't go now, but there's like a Korean spa that opened up in Houston, like way up on Highway Six, so maybe twenty minutes away from me. And like for, you know, the final iteration, I just went there and I stayed the night. So I was just there for two days, and I just read through the whole draft, like just like aloud to myself, just to have a sense of like what it sounded like. And even in you know that sort of last last like you have to turn in your draft or we will terminate your contract like, iteration. <laughs> I was still finding like so many things that I could change you know so that that's something that's been really helpful to me i love hearing that that is one of those things that i always mean to do and i never quite get the time to do it and i wonder if i'll i'm supposed to get first pass pages pretty soon and maybe i'll do that i'm worried about how many things i would find to change you, you know, find they, so many things it's the thing. they tell you yeah. what like you know you can change up to like eight percent without it you know yeah. without getting in yeah. trouble um, I find so many things, but I've been really fortunate in that my team has been really, and my editor specifically, like Laura Percy, so specifically is super amenable to like, if there's like a major thing I want to change or a thematic thing that I want to change, like I'll email her. Um, if it's just like a handful of work, we'll just like, we'll just change it. And <laughs> the, but he, they've, you know, my editor has only been receptive and only wanted to push you know, a draft from trying to be like the best iteration of what it can be. So I'm just really fortunate to be that position. So you really do the reading at the very last minute, or do you do the reading in pre uh, in earlier drafts as well? Or reading out oh, I do it throughout. I do, it, do throughout, it throughout. Which That's a probably lot of time. It is. It's not like writing memorial wasn't <laughs> like it wasn't like when yeah. I think about it now, because like now that I'm on the other you know side of like the actual process of it and yeah. the, and able to think about it a bit, I'm just like, wow, that's like a bit bit much <laughs> you know like you like did you but really it were yeah i felt like i still like even though it was a bit much i still do feel as if though like i had to do all that overwriting and a lot of that reading aloud and a lot of that spending time with each of the characters because a part of what 
got me to finish the novel in a lot of ways was not knowing what the conclusion would look like or where it would end up and wanting to write toward figuring out what that would look like. So mm. I needed to know who people were before I could have a sense of like where they would end up. Mm. That's really, really cool. What thing in your life affects your writing in a surprising way? Mm. Normally I'd say cooking, but I've talked so much about it now. <laughs> it's probably like a very obvious thing. Um, so I won't say that for this, but if there's a city in which I'm comfortable uh-huh. and just walking by myself in it, that impacts the writing in a lot of explicit but also implicit ways. And that I think that you can do so much work on the page when you're trying to build a place through the scenes that are occurring around the, I suppose, main narrative mm-hmm. right so i'll have a scene where uh ben and mitsuko are you know sort of driving to one place or another whether it's a grocery store whether it's you know drop something off the gps like wherever and they'll notice things mm-hmm. and those things will be stories and and of themselves and like as the writer like i may know that i'm using this observation or this moment in order to show something about the character, to show something about the place and it's a tool and a device, but I can't approach it that way. Like I have to approach it as though it is its own singular and autonomous story that is occurring simultaneously. So really, yeah, there's being like open to observations, like just like walking around and without a clear point or end goal in mind has been one way of just sort of hardlining that many different things can be true simultaneously and like many different narratives can be running simultaneously which is something that was really helpful to have in mind while I was drafting and also editing are people saying to you things like Houston is a character in this book yes okay yeah I figured that was (laughs) that was you're probably tired of hearing that but my students always ask like well you know I want to make the area a character how do I do that and and I'm just I like to tell students what I know and to that I'm always like I don't know I can't write setting to save my life and you do it you 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 know houston you love houston at least i think you do it comes through as you do okay Okay. the only part of houston (laughs) i know is like the queer section because i i stay oh mattress yeah 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 yeah. two of my uh one of my friends he works at uh murder by the book Um, oh yeah john john and um when we go we stay with them and people give Houston a bad rap. It is, I loved that town. And maybe it's because I'm with people I love when I'm there, but it was so nice being there and seeing it through the eyes of someone who knows it and loves it. Yeah. Admittedly, it can be a tricky city to untangle in a Mm -hmm. short period of time, right? Like it's like one of those places where if you were spending or planning like a trip to Houston, maybe not now because we should all be staying at home, but if you know that weren't the case and you wanted to pass by Houston, I'd probably tell someone that I'd consider like allotting like a week, you know, or at least five days because there are certainly definitive parts of, you know, Houstonian culture within the larger American 
canon, whether it's mm-hmm. NASA, whether it's the rodeo, whether it's like football or like a Texas high school football game. And those are certainly valid and pivotal for the culture, but it's also a city in which, you know, many different things can be happening at the same time. Mm-hmm. So you have, you know, your rodeo and that context and that experience. And you also have a deeply vibrant Vietnamese food culture. And then you also have a deeply vibrant music culture. And then you have like a massive arts scene and museum scene. And you have all of the sprawl inside of that. And then you also have the sort of queer life within all of that. And you also have really lush park spaces and many of which are you know third places or operate as third places because it's it's a tricky city and that we don't have too many third places so everyone utilizes the parks and utilizes the free things and because we only have you know a pretty not so big amount of them you have folks from so many different ethnic and racial communities and various financial stratum and just walks of life that are coming to the same places and it makes like a really it makes for a really really interesting place so i think that one like tiny joy like maybe specifically to me in writing about houston for a lot and also for a memorial is that i can pull from all of these different sectors of the city that would be perhaps more feasible to experience and you know a 27 dollar book or if you're using an e-reader like a 15 dollar book then to plan like a five-day trip or like you do all yeah. of the different things so that's been like a nice thing I th- maybe the reason i love houston so much is as you've been describing it it just reminds me of my favorite city in the world which is oakland and we we have those things we and and also when I think of Houston and you'll understand this I think of freeways I think of highways yes. and how they bisect and dissect and it's the same thing here is that freeways actually create cultural lines delineations um, you know below this point is this above this point is that we've got the lake over here where everybody meets every single person we've got yes. this these three restaurants where everybody goes, but over here we've got the Vietnamese section and we do not have a queer section at all. However, we have, no, not at all, but we do have more married lesbians than anywhere else in the whole world. Oh, that's so rad. I know it's pretty. The world, that's rad. This is the, this is the capital of that. And it's very clear. Uh, I think we're just like all, all over the place, but um, yeah. So thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you for discussing Houston that way. I really love it. Thank you. What is the best book you've read recently? Um, Why did you love it? That's a really good question. I read um, Nights Where Nothing Happened by Simon Hahn, which is a novel that is on the way. It comes out in a bit. It's really lovely, like super great. Um, And also um, Luster by Raven Leilani, which is so great. And also Beast Jerry by uh, Kei Ming Chang. I which keep hearing is about that. On, it's really good. Like, yeah. it's so, everything that you heard, it's all true. Like, it's, it's so good. Like, it's all true. Um, there's a book called uh, Tokyo Lano Station by Yu Miri, which was published um, a little while ago, um, but it's up for um, a National Book Award in translated fiction. So I'm really happy about that because then more people are going to read it. 
Um, but I also just finished uh, Helena Yegemi's um, next mm-hmm. novel that's going to be on the way in a few months, like in the new year. And it's really good and really interesting. And I want more people to read it so that I can ask them what they think about it. Tell me her name ending. again. Uh, Helena Yegemi. Um, her last book was Gingerbread. Um, and it came out, I want to say last year like she's super fast um and she's just brilliant like she's just so great oh i'm going to look her up thank you yeah. speaking of yeah, wonderful of books that people need to look up please, will you please can you tell us a little bit about memorial and where to find you yeah so memorial is at its heart a love story between two queer cis men living in houston uh benson who's a black aftercare teacher and mike who is a japanese american chef at a tex-mex restaurant and they're trying to figure out what it means to be okay just as people and also what it means just to be okay as like a person among people and mitsuko uh mike's mother helps them along in that journey yeah thank you (laughs) thank you she's like the emotional uh heart for the novel in a lot of ways um but uh, i'm on i am on the bird app i'm on twitter so i'm at bright washing and i am also on the internet off twitter at brightwashing.com perfect brian thank you thank you thank you so much for writing this book for allowing us to talk to you about it um i your book was one of those where i was giving up one day you know quitting writing forever as I often, as I often, I do it like at least weekly. Me too. Yeah. You know, we have to, yeah. and you have to really yeah. mean it. And then you get on the couch and I got on the couch with your book and I was reading and it actually made me get up to write because it was uh, so beautiful uh, to hear the sentences. I wanted to play with my own sentences. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Rachel. It means a good deal. Take care. Bye. Likewise. Please take care. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of How Do You Write? You can reach me on Twitter, Rachel Heron, or at my website, rachelheron.com. You can also support me on Patreon and get essays on living your creative life for as little as a buck an essay at patreon.com slash Rachel, spelled R-A-C-H-A-E-L. And do sign up for my free weekly newsletter of encouragement to writers at rachelheron.com slash write. Now go to your desk and create your own process. Get to writing, my friends. <laughs>